What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. Today's episode is a little bit different than my normal episodes. I actually recorded a Zoom final presentation from one of my interns who was doing his rotations with me the last few weeks. And one of his final projects was to do a literature review on testosterone, specifically like testosterone optimization, and give kind of a little presentation to some of my clients. And I decided that it was a good conversation and there's a lot of really good information that we went over and might as well turn it into a podcast recording for people to come back and and listen to it secondhand. So on this episode, Devin goes into what testosterone is and why it's important, uh, some of the nutrition you know, interventions and considerations when it comes to optimizing your testosterone, also lifestyle you know, factors and just habits and things that you could do from a non-pharmaceutical or non-nutrition approach that can help optimize your testosterone. And then we dive a little bit into kind of what tests and, and when to see a physician touch a little bit on that, talk about some herbal supplements and some things you might see in the media or in different supplements out there. And then we kind of conclude it and wrap it up at the end. But I I thought it was a really good conversation. I feel like a lot of people could benefit from listening to this conversation as well. It's definitely not an, you know, all inclusive, all, you know, information you need to know about testosterone, but it could be a good starting point for people just diving into this topic or people wanting to learn a little bit more about it. So Let's get into it, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Right on. Well, welcome, everybody. If you are watching this video, you are watching me, Luke, and my uh, intern, Devin, who is aiming to be a dietitian by, what, mid-2023, coming up here at the end of your internship. So we just did a little kind of community rotation here, and one of Devin's final projects is going to be talking about testosterone optimization, particularly for men, but this conversation isn't just excluded to men necessarily. Like these are general things that can improve females hormones and energy levels and all those things as well. So definitely not only applicable to men by any means, but generally things that can make everybody a generally healthy person, but things to think about considerations and, and what testosterone actually is. So Devin, the floor is yours, my friend. Alrighty. So yeah, as Luke said, this paper is focused primarily on males, but it can apply to females as well. Um, so testosterone, just a quick introduction. Uh, most people know what this is. It's been kind of glamorized as, in terms of the health and fitness community. Um, but in males, 95% is released from the testes and 5% is derived from the adrenal glands. In females, um, obviously they don't have testes, so all of their testosterone production is coming from that adrenal glands. And that's gonna be in the form of what's called DHEA. Um, Males also produce it, but just in smaller amounts. And testosterone is important for so many different things in the body um, as a hormone and Uh, There's different effects. So most people know of like the gym and how it can play a role for like bodybuilders and stuff like that. Um, So we see with testosterone, it increases the rate of protein synthesis, which is basically uh, muscle building. 
And it also plays a role in like basic androgenic characteristics like beard growth, um, it can contribute to male pattern baldness, play a role in acne, general growth, voice deepening. There's so many different effects. Um, also, it's important for fertility. So libido, um, erectile dysfunction, sperm production, all those sorts of things. So if you're looking to have a baby or make gains in the gym, testosterone is the thing you should be concerned about. Now, yeah. uh, it's... I'll interrupt you for a sec, Dev. I think yeah. that's a really good point to make because I think there's this perception that a lot of infertility issues happen um, in females and primarily females, but in reality, it's it's actually closer to like a 50-50 split than it is leaning towards one gender over the other. And when it comes to reproduction and really just health overall, like optimizing these hormone levels because if you think about these hormones especially testosterone even estrogen in females a lot of them are accessory hormones meaning your body isn't going to prioritize making these types of hormones they're not going to prioritize making a baby if a lot of these other systems and things aren't in check so a lot of these are are things that are a result of you taking care of yourself and it doesn't just again go only into testosterone but all hormone production in general but i just wanted to make that point because I think too many times the blame is pointed on females when it comes to infertility issues, but men have, have just as a, as much of a responsibility in that and producing healthy sperm and, and having health, healthy hormone levels to be able to like, to reproduce. So definitely, um, a good point to make because yeah, it's a very complicated topic, but testosterone in men and in men being healthy, I think that's just as important piece of the puzzle, if not more important than anything. So. Yeah, and a lot of times with these fertility clinics, they'll they'll look at the male sperm count and they'll find out that it's super low, and then they'll tell them, you know, it's time to stop smoking cigarettes, it's time to stop drinking alcohol every night. You know, there's a lot of things that go into this, and some of them seem like common sense, but they do make a big difference um, in terms of just like general health uh, when it comes to fertility. Um, there are a lot of like different derivatives of testosterone, there's DHT, there's all different stuff that goes into it when it comes to these hormone pathways with synthesis and where it's derived from. But I wanted to touch quickly on estrogen because kind of, it was a former belief. Um, it's gotten better now, but males used to think that you want your estrogen just bottomed out. You don't want estrogen. And that's just, it's not true. Estrogen is important for males for a ton of different things. And actually, when you have increases in testosterone, you're actually going to get increases in estrogen too. Um, testosterone aromatizes into estrogen. And specifically, um, males that take estrogen blockers, also known as aromatase inhibitors, they see a, a big decrease in their libido as uh, estrogen is actually really important for um, sexual function in males. So just moving on into uh, some nutrition stuff here. Um, basically, you're going to need to get enough nutrients in and enough calories. And that's kind of the main takeaway. If you're consuming a super low calorie diet and you're maintaining that over a period of time, you're going to see decreases in testosterone. You're also going to... Um, 
kind of see with low body fat athletes. So they've done studies on this with bodybuilders that are natural that are achieving super low body fat and like below eight, six percent, whatever. And their testosterone is just bottomed out. And that's because testosterone is derived from cholesterol and fats. And so you need adequate amount of not just body fat, but fat intake as well um, to secrete enough testosterone. Um, but we do see on the other hand in like obese patients that when they do lose that body fat, that they actually see increases in testosterone. So it's kind of a fine line and a balance of maintaining a healthy weight, having enough um, body fat to where you're producing adequate amounts of testosterone, but not having too much body fat to where it's having that negative effect. Now there are uh, certain micronutrients that are important for testosterone. The main three that I touched on in this paper would be magnesium, zinc, and vitamin D. Now, there are some mechanisms with how these three micronutrients will help in testosterone production. But the main takeaway and what most of the studies show um, is that deficiencies in these micronutrients lead to decreased testosterone levels. And so if you have adequate amounts of magnesium, zinc, and vitamin D, adding more on top of that isn't going to boost your testosterone. But in a person that's deficient in one of these, and when they get that level up to the normal range, they will have improvements in their hormone levels. So that's kind of the main takeaway with that. And there are blood tests where you can uh, check your vitamin and mineral status. So um, if that's something you're concerned about, you can definitely get that checked out through a doctor. Uh, one more uh, to trace mineral is boron. And there has been some studies that have shown that boron can have a positive impact on testosterone. This is something that can be consumed through food products. I found the most, uh, the, the three food products with the highest amount, which would be prune juice, avocado, and raisins. And there's a few different mechanisms around this, but Mainly, boron is going to lower sex hormone binding globulin, also known as SHGB. So you have uh, two different markers for testosterone. You have your total testosterone. You also have your free testosterone. So free testosterone is going to be the active form that's kind of circulating. And the total testosterone is going to include the stuff that's bound up with SHGB. So by lowering SHGB, you're allowed to free more testosterone into the bloodstream, into that active form. And so that's kind of the idea behind boron in that. Yeah, I'm going to hit or just hit a couple more points again that you mentioned, Devin. One was this idea of getting to like really low levels of body fat percentage and I experienced this person. I know you've had some experience on this as well, but there was a time just as a personal kind of experience when I was going through my cut, I was on like week 17 or 18 of being in a deficit. And, and I had lost for me like 12 or 13 pounds at the time, which for me was pretty significant considering I'm, I don't weigh that much as it is. So 
going to this, I think I ended at like a seven and a half percent body fat or 8% body fat range. And I did something called a Dutch test, which is like a dried urine analysis test that you can test some of these hormone markers. And my testosterone was that of like a 78 year old at the time. And I think that's a really important point because a lot of times when we see these really shredded or lean people, like we think that's the epitome of health. When ironically, when you're lean and you go to an even leaner body, you're actually becoming more unhealthy in a sense. And, and for the most part, like you don't see these bodybuilders or physique competitors. We're hitting on those people right now. Cause this is kind of the example we're giving, but they don't look like that 365 days a year. And sometimes they go through year or two or three year building phases to build up to a higher body fat or sorry, a, a higher body weight and then cut down to a lower weight. So it's not like being shredded 365 days of the year, you achieve this optimal health. And in all reality, there's a chance that you're becoming even more unhealthy. And the inverse is also, well, the inverse where you mentioned where we have somebody who's overweight or maybe obese and we get them down, we reduce their calories, they're in a deficit, they lose a significant amount of weight. You can actually see these increase in these testosterone levels. So there, Devin's right, there's this balance between you know, what's too little and what's too big. And generally speaking, like it's nice and your best life is likely going to live in somewhat of that middle range. So just wanted to point that out there. Um, and then also when we were talking about deficiencies, especially in magnesium, zinc, vitamin D, a lot of the micronutrients, you know, there is a slight difference in, there's a big difference actually in deficiencies and insufficiencies. And yes, you can have both, but a lot of times, unless you're, if you're clinically deficient in some of these nutrients, there's a lot of other things terribly that can go wrong. Um, so sometimes insufficiencies where maybe you have a normal range of some of these on your blood markers, but maybe they're on the lower end and, and you could be still insufficient in those ranges, even though your blood work might look quote unquote normal. So definitely some things to consider as well. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to make sure we differentiated between those two. Awesome. Um, as we look into some lifestyle factors, it's pretty apparent that weight training and maintaining a healthy exercise protocol or fitness protocol is going to be beneficial for hormone production. Most of the research surrounding actual testosterone boosting effects is going to come from the heavy weight training. And that can be anywhere from a one rep max to uh, 15 reps. Um, basically, the main thing here in terms of testosterone optimization is to work out with intensity with heavy load, but not until absolute failure or exhaustion on every set. So there's kind of this balance between cortisol and testosterone. And as you begin to push towards those limits of exhaustion, cortisol, which is also known as a stress hormone, is going to increase and that's going to cause decreases in testosterone. So there's also been some evidence about like full body training, multi-joint exercises. So things like squat, bench press, deadlift, um, those have shown to be more beneficial. Uh, but the main takeaway here is to not push to the extreme, but to still get a good workout and basically just find that sweet spot. And 
kind of like one rule of thumb is to limit your workouts between 45 to 75 minutes. And this has to do with the cortisol response. So very long training sessions are going to be a little bit more stressful on the body, especially if you're pushing hard on every set. So I'm kind of limiting that time. You can still get an amazing workout in 45 to 75 minutes and see awesome results without taking it to the two, three hour mark. And at the end of the day, more research is needed in this area to kind of see what the best actual protocols are to increase testosterone through weight training. Um, but we do have a pretty good um, set of evidence here of the relationship between cortisol and testosterone. Um, as we move on, uh, sleep we know is important for so many different things when it comes to metabolism, overall health, and also hormone production. Um, as we do release a lot of hormone during our sleep, um, I thought about touch, touching on GH here with the growth hormone, but I decided to stick this primarily with testosterone. And there haven't been a lot of studies on like sleep protocols for testosterone optimization or anything like that, but there's a ton of studies on showing what poor sleep does to testosterone and chronic sleep deprivation. Now, if it's like a one or two night thing and, you know, everybody, you know, deals with nights where they don't sleep as well or they're traveling or whatever, that's not necessarily going to have a big impact on your testosterone. In this case, I'm talking about people that are struggling every night or have sleep apnea or conditions like that, insomnia, where their sleep is just crushed for a long period of time. And, you know, some people, they say that they can function on low amounts of sleep and they feel fine. And I would say that it's not optimal. There are very rare genetic anomalies where people can function on low amounts of sleep but it's super rare and and for almost everybody you you need that seven to nine hours of sleep and so some sort of tips to improve your sleep if you're struggling with that uh, one thing is to get sunlight exposure early in the morning so you want to get outside right when you wake up um, if you can do this in the first hour of waking it's best and basically what this is going to do is it's going to set your circadian rhythm throughout the day. So getting that sunlight exposure through the eyes, we don't want to wear sunglasses. We actually want that bright light exposure. Obviously, you don't want to stare into the sun or anything. This can damage your eyes. But um, another part of this is avoiding caffeine in the later parts of the day. I personally, my cutoff is usually like three o'clock, maybe four o'clock if I'm going to stay up a little bit later. But um, I try to limit that caffeine later in the day, even if you can fall asleep on caffeine, like you hear people, oh, I can drink a coffee before bed and it's no problem. And that might be true. You can fall asleep, but the quality of your sleep is going to be disturbed. And that's the important part. Um, now, we also have uh, blue light from screens. So they have blue light, blue light blockers now, which can be useful. I'm actually thinking about picking up a pair of those, but um, just avoiding, you know, staring at your phone for an hour before bed or something like that. Maybe read a book or um, just reduce that screen time. Also, maintaining a proper sleep schedule. I know this is hard for a lot of people, but um, your body will adjust eventually. And as you get used to a sleep schedule, it's so much easier to, to fall asleep on time and wake up on time. 
Um, exercise also can help you uh, get out some of that excess energy, reduce anxiety, things like that, which can ultimately lead to better sleep. And also limiting naps, um, usually between 20 and 60 minutes kind of seems to be a good rule of thumb for that. Um, anything more than that can kind of cause issues with your uh, sleep quality later that night. So, Luke, anything on that? Yeah, I mean, I think you did a really good job hitting a lot of those things. But general takeaway is like, hey, too much unmanaged stress can really influence testosterone levels. And when we talk about cortisol, the stress hormone, like we have to put it into context because it is something that's actually necessary for our body in certain situations. So it's not like this, it's this thing that we can completely eliminate it or reduce it. But the premise of this is like, can we manage our stress levels enough so our cortisol isn't consistently spiked or consistently high, which is when we see you know, our body go into somewhat this catabolic state or your body's being broken down. Um, and it's just really hard to gain muscle or to change your physique or to maintain healthy hormone levels when your body's constantly stressed. And one way that I'll put it is like, you know, there's all of these factors that can influence your stress. And if we think of your stress as like this big bucket, right. And the more we fill up this bucket, the more stress we're adding to our day, you know, you might have training that you're training really hard for, and you might do two a days, or you're doing, you know, concurrent training, you're running and you're lifting, but your nutrition is on point and you're eating enough or you're in a surplus and you're getting adequate sleep and your life isn't super stressful. Like, like you can handle more stress from that exercise and you could likely maintain these healthy levels of your hormones and energy levels and so forth. But it's when we get to, Hey, we're training five days a week or six days a week, or maybe you're doing a lot of hit training. And then you couple that with, you're only getting six hours of sleep and maybe you're under eating consistently. You're not getting enough protein in, you're not getting enough of these micronutrients in, and maybe your job and your relationship is super stressful. And before you know it, there's all these things pouring into your stress bucket. And before you know it, that can overflow. And that's where we see a lot of these things that are pretty consequential happen over time um, in men, especially. So, you know, it's not just this one input that's going to send you over the edge. It's likely a lot of things and you can do things to mitigate some of the, you know, stress that you're accumulating in other areas of your life. But it's, um, it's definitely multifactorial and it's not just, Hey, if you work out for 75 minutes, four times a week, you're going to have high cortisol and you're not going to have high testosterone levels. It's a little bit, it's just definitely more multifactorial than that, you know? And you also said something about caffeine too. I think that's a really important thing, especially limiting it later in the day because the half-life of caffeine, right, if, is four to six hours, I believe. And what that means is like, hey, let's say you have caffeine at 4 p.m. at night before your workout. Six hours later, half of the amount of caffeine that you drank is still circulating through your blood. And in that caffeine consumption later in the day or even in the afternoon can just prevent you from getting into some of those deep sleep cycles, prevent you from going to sleep, you know, at a reasonable time. And that's where we see some of the downfalls of drinking caffeine in the afternoon. So it's kind of a domino effect, so to speak, but caffeine isn't a bad thing, but a lot of people drink a lot of caffeine. So keeping that in mind and limiting that later in the day could be the thing that helps you get more sleep. Cause ironically, people drink caffeine in the morning and in the afternoon because they're tired as hell. And then, you know, they wake up 
they have terrible sleep, they wake up, rely on the caffeine when it's the caffeine that's likely causing them to sleep poorly, which is continuing that vicious cycle. So just something to consider, but really good job, Dev. Yeah. You made some really good points there. Um, you know, hormones are super complicated and cortisol gets a pretty bad rap, but cortisol is very beneficial in some circumstances. And what you mentioned was the chronic exposure to cortisol, which is, has some, which is associated with the negative effects, but the acute secretion of cortisol is actually really important for your immune system. So when you're sick, you're going to release a bunch of cortisol and that's going to help you um, kind of release all these things that are going to reduce uh, inflammation and help with the immune system. And as far as caffeine goes, um, there's also some good evidence showing that kind of delaying that caffeine intake um, after you wake up. So most people, they wake up, they slam a cup of coffee and they start their day, but kind of waiting until about 60 to 120 minutes after waking helps your body produce that cortisol in the morning and naturally wake up. And then you don't get that crash later in the day. So kind of delaying your caffeine, caffeine intake a little bit. I've personally noticed a difference with that as well. Um, but I do love my caffeine. So, um, so as far as like low testosterone goes, um, when is the right time to see a physician? What should I be looking at the tests? And there's kind of just these blanket symptoms that a lot of people experience, um, such as low energy, low libido, erectile dysfunction, infertility, also be associated with depression. And a lot of people experience these symptoms and they might not have low testosterone. So this is why it's important to actually go through the blood tests and not just self-diagnose with low testosterone. Um, so you can work with a physician, specifically an endocrinologist on something like this. And it's important to note that testosterone changes so much on a daily basis. Um, so my testosterone might be super high today and it might be tanked by the end of the week, depending on some of the things we talked about or um, also taking your testosterone in the morning versus in the afternoon, you're going to see a big difference as uh, testosterone is higher in the morning. So if you are doing a blood test or multiple blood tests, make sure that you're doing it at the same time. And it gets tough because there is a wide reference range for testosterone. Depending on the lab, this is going to differ slightly, but in general, it's about 300 to 1,000 nanograms per deciliter. Um, So it's a huge difference because if you're at that bottom threshold of 300, it's so much different than being at 1,000. So kind of looking into that, and this is going to be all based off of your physician. Um, But I did want to mention uh, the free testosterone versus the total testosterone, which I touched on earlier. Um, Even if you have a high total testosterone in that 3,000 to 1,000 range. Um, it's important to see what your free testosterone is because even if you have 1,000 and you're at that upper range, if your free testosterone is tanked, that's not a good thing. It means that your SHGB is super high. Um, so there's certain things to look at with that. And um, if a doctor does determine that a pharmaceutical approach is necessary and that you have low testosterone, Um, They can prescribe a hormone replacement therapy, 
and um, I'll touch on that here um, just quickly. So there's injectable forms, um, which are the most well-known. It used to be thought that you could just take these like long acting, slow releasing testosterones um, and that that was the way to go. And it seems to be the opposite now in terms of people are using very small amounts more frequently. And that does mean that you have to inject more frequently, which is not pleasant, but the overall benefits are so much better um, with those low dose frequent amounts. And if you are not interested in the injection form, there are other options. There's a transdermal cream. This is going to be applied directly to the scrotum or testicles. And it really, at the end of the day, what works best for the person is going to be the best option, whatever they're most likely to, whatever they're most receptive towards. There might be some benefits towards the injectable one in terms of like regulating the dosage and everything. But um, if you hate pinning and you'd rather just use the cream and that's what's going to get you into a healthy range and help you feel better, then that might be the option for you. And one thing to consider with this, though, is um, if you're administering TRT over a long period of time, you will crush your natural hormone production. You can actually get testicular atrophy, like the shrinking of your testicles, and your body will stop producing it naturally as it's getting it from this exogenous source. And there are ways to mitigate this. There are a lot of people that have gone on testosterone and gotten off and got their natural levels up normal. Um, but if you are doing this chronically over, you know, a few years or whatever, it, it's kind of a lifelong decision. So that's something to think about as well, because if this is something sustainable for you for a long period of time. Um, one other thing I want to touch on is when you're altering your hormone levels, um, more is not always better. So there is a point of diminishing return with testosterone when administering this exogenously. Um, staying in that upper range is going to be good, but as soon as you start pushing into super physiological dosages, um, you will see a lot of side effects and high doses of testosterone can be associated with a ton of negative health effects. So something to think about there. Nice work. Yeah. Just, uh, just to add on to that too, is you mentioned how the lab ranges clinically are just so, so far apart, right? Like 300 to a thousand, like depending on what lab tests we're looking at. But I think it's important to keep in context that our individual baselines from person to person is going to change. So you know, you might get one test and you might see that it's 480 or something like that. And say, okay, that's kind of on the lower range. I need to do X, Y, and Z. When in reality, some people's baselines may be around that four to 500 mark, and they might feel really good at that mark to where somebody else might, you know, normally be around 700. And if they went to 480, they might feel terrible. So just something to keep in mind is like, don't hold too much value on your first or one lab value in being able to like get these lab tests routinely. I don't know, you can touch on this, Devin, but every three months, six months, yearly, 
just to see what your trends are and then making adjustments from there might be more of a kind of an educated and informed decision instead of getting one lab test and then going and proceeding to do some sort of exogenous or whatever intervention that you might get from a doctor's office. Um, so just something to think about, you know, one lab value does not mean that that's it all the time. And that does not mean that it's low or high and it might be, it might be your normal baseline. So just something to think about. Um, and then again, as we talk about kind of the, the things that we could do from an outpatient setting, like going to a doctor or going to a clinic and getting some of these interventions done. I would always recommend people to double down on the things that we listed first in this, and we'll conclude this at the end, but what are nutrition factors? What are the lifestyle interventions that are going on? Being able to double down on that, because as Devin said, it's, it could be a lifelong pursuit after you commit to doing some form of exogenous testosterone or some of these hormone replacement therapy stuff. And it's, it's a very expensive journey too. It can be at least. So just something to, to consider. And yes, there might be this product or this thing that you could take and you might see improvements immediately, but you also have to weigh the trade-offs and, and what it's going to take to continue to sustain that long-term. So that's why we always come back to what can we do at home to make sure we're really giving our body all the tools and the resources to be able to maintain healthy levels before we have to look at some of these other things. So, yeah. And it's a good point. Like when you, when you're doing these tests, it, it really is best to get multiple done and just kind of, you touched on what timing of how frequently you should get these tests done. You know, if you're, if you're taking testosterone, I'd say about every three months would be a good bet for you maybe twice a year at the latest. Um, but to get those frequent, test done and to kind of see like where you're at naturally and then when you hop on the trt seeing how it's impacting you and what you're sustaining your levels at and you know it was a lot of people think that you know once you turn 50 you got to hop on trt because your levels are going down and that's just not the case there's 80 90 year old dudes with super high testosterone levels and there's certain cases of 20 year old kids with crushed testosterone hypogonadism so it, it really is a person-to-person -person thing and when you're getting these tests done and they're determining whether you should be on trt or hrt um, they're not just looking at your total and free testosterone they're also going to look at shgb they're going to look at luteinizing hormone estrogen estradiol so there's so many different hormones that go into this that need to be checked up on um and so it's not just looking at, oh, I'm at 450 nanograms. So I guess I'm kind of towards the bottom, which it doesn't really give you the whole picture. It's, you got to kind of take a step back and look at the big picture on this. Um, I touched real quick on herbal supplements. There's a ton of different stuff out there. And I chose the two that have been kind of popular in the media recently. And ones that have had a ton of studies done on them actually main take with herbal supplements is they're not regulated and the dosages may be different from what is listed on the label. So that's kind of a huge concern there. Um, and these, uh, these compounds have been shown to increase testosterone or free testosterone or lower SHGB have all sorts of beneficial effects on increasing the hormone production. And 
one thing to think about is the standardization. So even at the same dosage, so say I'm taking 300 milligrams of a given substance, the potency of that 300 milligrams may differ from one brand to the other in terms of the standardization of how that herbal supplement um, was extracted. So um, it's important to look into that as well, because you may be getting a huge effect from what you think is a small dose. So that's why there's a lot of concerns when going into herbal supplements. And I'm going to say that the lifestyle factors that we talked about earlier, which is your nutrition, your sleep, and your exercise are going to play a big role um, before considering this uh, herbal supplementation. And even blood work. Um, it's important to get blood work before, during, and after any supplementation. This goes across the board with anything. Um, just to kind of check on, you know, your liver enzymes. Is this going to be, is there any toxicity um, effects? Um, is this having a beneficial effect or is it doing nothing for me? Is it even worth spending the $50 a month on this? So those are things to consider. Uh, first herbal supplement I mentioned is Tonga Ali. It goes by multiple names. Some people call it Long Jack. Um, and this is shown to have a beneficial effect on testosterone. Um, about 200 to 400 milligrams a day is the recommended dosage. Um, there's a few different mechanisms. It's a little bit unclear on how it exactly works, but it, it looks to increase free testosterone by lowering SHGB. And this one has been shown to be pretty safe in terms of toxicity. Um, there's people that have taken it for long periods of time and gotten a lot of blood work on it. And it's shown to be safe. There's no crushing of your natural testosterone. And um, cycling really isn't necessarily something that you could theoretically take every day. And really with both of these supplements, the improvements that you see in terms of hormone status are gonna be determined of how you were coming into that. So if you come in having super high levels of testosterone and you throw on some of these supplements, you might not see a huge increase. Whereas if your testosterone is crushed and you start taking some of this stuff, that's where people see the most benefit, I'd say. Another one is Pedogia agrestis, also a, called the Nigerian uh, shrub. And this one is known to increase luteinizing hormone. So basically our pituitary is going to release um, the luteinizing hormone, which is going to signal to our gonads, uh, our testicles if you're a male or uh, ovaries if you're a female, and release hormones. Um, um, this one has been shown to have some effects as far as like increasing testicle size through this, um, enhanced luteinizing hormone. And there was one rodent study, which showed a potential toxicity. It kind of increased these pro-inflammatory markers. Um, uh, I will say this isn't a huge concern, but it is something to note and, there was, um, these rodents were not consuming any antioxidants or anything, which would um, kind of attenuate those negative inflammatory markers. And 
these were uh, in higher doses when they saw this toxicity. And so the safe dosages uh, range from 300 to 600 milligrams. Um, it doesn't necessarily need to be cycled, but it is recommended. And um, I'd say a proper cycling would be like taking this every other day, or you could even do longer where you take it for a couple months and then take a couple weeks off. Um, like I said, it's not super necessary to cycle, but it might be a good idea to kind of give your body a break. Um, Luke, anything on the herbal stuff? Yeah, I think I I love that you brought up a couple of those because, yeah, those are usually one of the ones that you'll see in like even a lot of the supplements that you'll see marketed towards improving your testosterone levels and things like that. But just for the general viewer, I just want to always make sure that you take supplements with a grain of salt and you're always a skeptic with them um, because, yes, they might read everything you want to read on the label and you might see some of these ingredients on there. But that doesn't mean that that is going to fix or solve or make anything better necessarily. And the supplement industry, it's a very, it's not regulated. It can be a scary industry because a lot of people are out to make money. And, and with that comes claims and proprietary blends and, and just sprinkling in of these ingredients to, to be able to slap something on a label to get your attention and for you to pay them. Also, you and I and Devin have talked about this off air, but the sourcing of where they're getting a lot of these nutrients for their supplements, also the bioavailability of, you know, how much are you actually absorbing of these nutrients? Are your, is your body able to utilize that? Are you actually absorbing the, however much is being advertised on these labels? So, you know, just keep that in mind. And, and that's my biggest encouragement for people is just always play detective and, and never just blindly buy into something because of the claims that you see on a TV ad, right? Like Nugenics, right? You always see the new, the commercials for that. And it's like, just, just be skeptical because a lot of people tell you what you want to hear when in reality, they're not giving what you actually need. So supplements are always not always, but usually kind of a last line defense or something that can fill in the cracks, but they are not a foundation at all. So, yeah. And one of the main concerns, um, when taking supplements, you know, is you get these blends. And so I kind of like to go for single ingredient supplements. That way you can see what is the specific compound doing to me. And if it ends up having a negative effect or you have a reaction to it, you can determine, oh, that was that one ingredient versus just taking a supplement with 10 different things in it and not knowing what's working for you and what's not. And uh, that's where the blood work's going to come in handy too, in terms of just checking on your overall markers and seeing what is this actually doing to my body. All right. Cool. Uh, so just to kind of wrap everything up and, um, and have some main takeaways for everybody. Um, Testosterone is constantly changing in your body and we all want to optimize our testosterone it's important for so many different things. Um, but the main things that you want to focus on is going to be consuming enough nutrients. So we talked about micronutrients. We also talked about macronutrients with fat and maintaining a healthy body weight. Uh, sleep quality this is important for testosterone, but also your mood, your energy your growth hormone, all sorts of different things, your metabolism. And so we talked about some strategies there. Uh, resistance training. I think everybody should be resistance training. 
um, whether you're 90 years old or 16 years old in terms of there's a strength is never a weakness and a weakness is never a strength. So uh, putting on muscle tissue is going to be beneficial for so many different things, including your hormone levels. And there are certain supplements and prescription drugs that can cause changes in testosterone levels. We touched on that a little bit. There's so many other things that we could have got into. Maybe uh, later down the road, we can talk about some things like SARMs or peptides or other herbal supplements um, related to testosterone and hormones. And I mentioned this earlier, but just because you hit 50, that's not the cutoff for, okay, now I have low testosterone. Um, it's just, that's been more of an advertisement thing with a lot of these companies and a lot of people, they are just fine. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to hop on TRT once you get to a certain age. Um, and I guess if you uh, have a concern with testosterone, just make an appointment with an informed doctor or an endocrinologist and um, you can get some blood, blood work done. There's also a lot of telemedicine companies out there. One that I'll plug is called Merrick Health. M-A-R-E-K. Um, they work with a ton of different doctors specifically with hormone replacement. And so you can uh, get lab work ordered through them. It is going to be more expensive than going to your actual doctor. But if that's something you're interested in, it's more convenient for you, then that's an option as well. Awesome. Nice work. Good summary right there. Double down on, on the big rocks get lab testing and, and seek help if you think, or you're curious, or you know, you need help. And then um, just keep in mind some of these other things that could influence or improve these levels. And yeah, at the end of the day, you got to eat enough. You got to sleep enough. You got to take care of yourself. You got to manage your stress. You, you need to lift some weights and to exercise, maintain healthy levels of body fat. And if you do all of those things, you do that consistently. There's a great chance that you are going to be fine and that you're going to live a really long, healthy life too. So 100%. Nice work, Devin. Really good job here, man. Awesome. Thanks, man. Thank you again for listening to this episode. If you found value and enjoyed it, it would mean the world to me if you posted a screenshot to your social media. If you do, make sure you tag me so I can say thanks. Or if you're on iTunes, scrolling down and leaving a five-star review would be much appreciated. If you ever want to get in touch with me, you can always find me on Instagram at LukeSmithRD. Thanks again for tuning in, and I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. I'll see you on the next episode.